0: Welcome to Story Smack. This is Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A Kovacs, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment.
1: And my name is Scott Sigler, New York Times best-selling novelist, and this is a pretty fucking good podcast. I don't know if it's worth $5, but it's a pretty fucking good <laughs> podcast.
0: And that is a modified quote from the 1994 Quentin Tarantino classic pulp fiction. The movie's 25th anniversary is coming up in October, so we decided to get a little ahead of the game and celebrate it a few months early. And we have guests today. Aaron Singerman is an old-school fan of Scott's and an entrepreneur in his own right. He is CEO of Redcon One, a booming workout and health supplement company located in Florida. He's been a Sigler Junkie for, what is it, 10 years or so?
2: 10-plus years, yeah. 10-plus years.
0: Wow. Also with us is Darielle Singerman, a fitness blogger at Redcon one.com slash mommy's hyphen corner and is also known as the first lady of redcon one guys. Welcome. So welcome to stories, Mac. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you.
1: What brings you all to town? you're in San Diego?
2: Yeah, yeah, we came to San Diego, um, originally for some business meetings, mm-hmm. but I mean, a large portion of coming, uh, this time was to see you guys and oh, see this, Yeah, it was <laughs> very, a large, sweet. very uh, motivating factor to get down here. And, Wonderful. And,
1: yeah. yeah. We've been in contact for uh, quite a long time now because mm-hmm. you've been a fan for a while and uh, this is one of your, Redcon One is one of your companies that has, has gone on to great things. You guys are doing really
2: well right now, right? Yeah. So uh, Redcon One is sold in 70 countries, the number one brand at Vitamin Shop, one of the biggest brands at GNC, uh-huh. sold in the military. We actually had an opportunity to visit the Navy SEAL base, which I told you uh, about. before, right. yeah. And uh, we're, uh, we're basically everywhere. And so this company's only a little less than three years old. And has certainly been the, the biggest success so far, and kind of like my my baby in terms of uh, businesses. So
1: right, right. Uh, this was largely you kicked this off. Kind yeah, of did just your own me. thing with it. Just, just you. me. Yeah, amazing. Yeah.
2: So um, yeah, I've been following you, and uh, since uh, things were not going so good in my life, and uh, and Scott, I mean. Uh, how much how much detail you want me to get into cuz I'm I'm willing to talk about it all
0: well let me just first say for the anybody new listening um there are thousands of podcasts where guests come on and talk about their personal stories but on this cast on storysmack what we do is get an insight into the minds of the people by deep diving into their favorite movies into into their fandoms into what brought them here and that's relevant in this case I think and I do have to say you guys though when Scott said that you had picked pulp fiction I was I was super duper excited because uh, he just, he lit up and then I lit up and then I thought, cool. Cause, and then when, when you first showed up, Dariel, you said, I must've seen it 20 times. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> right. Cause a lot of times we talk about movies that I would rather not talk about, but I am here for this. But that said also, absolutely. We, we want to talk about the, the thing that's so interesting on StorySmack is the the reason that you're a fan. And certainly you guys you are, you're, you were a fan of Scots yeah. Fiction and all that. other we'll, stuff too, We'll so get we to that. Talk. But
1: first like Pulp Fiction is in my top five, if not my Firm number two all the time. Aliens is my favorite of all time. And when you suggested it, I was like, oh, crap. He said Pulp Fiction. He's like, what's the problem? I'm like, well, we had, to have, we had to have covered this. This is our 48th oh, episode. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> we went back and looked, and sure enough, we had not. So this wound up being great. Wow. Why do you like, what is the, the, summarize what you love about this movie, Aaron?
2: Well, I love, um, I love Quentin Tarantino, period. You know, uh, I'm a big fan of his and, and all of his movies. And what I like the best about his movies uh, is the dialogue. Mm-hmm. I love the dialogue. I love that he's thought about everything. You could tell when you're watching the movie that he's thought about every element and every shot and every part of every character. And so it always drew me to uh, to him. And when the first movie I saw of his, well, I guess I saw um, Natural Born Killers. He had he wrote, and then mm-hmm. uh, I know he played a part in Killing Zoe. And then obviously Reservoir Dogs, which everybody that was a big yes. big favorite of everybody. So. I saw those and, uh, and I guess I was expecting a lot. I was only 14 years old when Pulp Fiction came out and I saw it in the movie theater and I was like, whoa, you know, and, uh, and ever since it's, it's one of those ageless things that you can watch over and over again. And I, and I did on the way here to San Diego and I loved it just as much. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: And then Dario, what about you? You, you, Like I said, just a moment ago, you and I sort of have a similar approach. Like, are you the sort, like if it's on TV, you have to watch it kind of thing? I, I'm actually not as much of a
4: movie movie or TV show buff as he is. And it's funny because he's seen probably every movie. <laughs> he, makes, <laughs> he makes fun of me because I'm just have not kept up. But so Pulp Fiction actually is probably my favorite movie or top. Awesome. Yeah. And so when he picked Pulp, Pulp Fiction, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That's like something I can actually agree on considering he's seen everything. So I, I just love all the, kind of intertwining stories within the story. I just think it's so awesome how it shows how everything kind of connects. And I
0: think it speaks a lot about just, you know, life in general, how things... One of the things I loved about Pulp Fiction, and I do want to talk a minute before we deep dive into the movie, I want to talk about us, but... um, I I love that particular thing that it's very sort of Robert Altman-esque. Quentin Tarantino kind of brought back that multiple storylines that right at the last minute dovetail together so well. And I think that's such a beautiful part of that. Mm -hmm. But maybe before we deep dive into this, maybe talk a little bit. You had mentioned you've been a fan for a really long time and that... um, that Scott's, why don't you tell us about yeah, your story? So,
2: <laughs> so, so, essentially, well, it kind of, I mean, it, there is a kind of a, a connection to the movie because in the movie, John Travolta's uh, character, you know, gets, um, Vincent Vega gets mm-hmm. addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny because the movie, if you remember when I was a kid, you know, I remember Bob Dole uh, came out and said how much he hated the movie and hated okay. all Tino's he, movies because he. Uh, makes heroin, uh, glorifies it. Right. Yes. In the movie, you know, to some degree or another, like I certainly, you know, hurt the story to remove it, but you know, he does kind of glorify it in a way. And, uh, I can tell you firsthand that doing heroin, intravenous heroin, there's nothing glamorous about it at all. Right. And, uh, there's nothing fun and exciting. And in my life, when I kind of discovered you, Scott was when I had just, I had basically come to the end of my uh, heroin addiction. Okay, so I was I was trying to basically get off at that part in, at that point in time where uh, my life had had some really dramatic events, and I had a, a friend die, and a, it, was a, it was a it's a whole long drawn out story. But essentially, I decided to change my life, and I just mm-hmm. didn't have much to look forward to. Okay, and this was uh, two thousand six, two thousand seven. Yeah. So, what were you doing? What was being released right then?
1: Well, we put out. Uh, we started with Earthcore in two thousand five, and then that was April two thousand or well, March of two thousand five. Then
0: ancestor. Then ancestor. And mm-hmm. then the infected was April. Infected was, was released infected. in April. Yeah, so it, so
2: was before, yeah it was the yeah. ancestor. the ancestor? So what we're, I was. I was listening to that, and you know. Um, I I loved it and it gave me something to look forward to when, when there was very little to look forward to in my Mm. life. And so, um, you know, when, when I could have really been down in the dumps even more than I was, um, because detoxing coming off of heroin, making a decision, I didn't go to any kind of therapy or any kind of rehab. I decided I made the internal decision to stop. And, um, yeah. I had a really uh, pulp, like crystallizing moment when my friend died and I was there when he overdosed and witnessed him oh, die. Wow. And yeah. I had a girlfriend that I was dating at the time who was um, insistent on me moving his body and was like punching me and screaming and he was dead on the couch. <sighs> Holy cats! And um, something right out of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <if I'm laughs> of pulp Fiction. Sounds <laughs> like a scene out of the movie. Yeah. So she was hitting me and telling me, move his body. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, part of death is, you know, he had, you know, his bowels had less. So there was a lot going on, a lot of sensory stuff happening. And, uh, and I had like a moment of epiphany where I said, you know, either I'm going to be like my friend here Mm -hmm. or some, or, or prison or something. I just knew something bad was coming for me. And so I literally ran out of her apartment, went back uh, to my apartment and uh, locked the door. She came over, knocked on the door, everything. And I literally did not uh, ever see her again. And I made a decision right then and there to uh, change my life and um, and stop taking drugs, which is not an easy decision no. um, for a lot of people out there. And it wasn't easy for me uh, because I did go through a, a period of time of being very depressed and feeling terrible. You know, when you're on heroin, you yeah, come yeah. off, you're sick for a while. And uh, and I made the decision to take methadone, go to the methadone clinic, okay. which ended up being good because it did help me get off. But, it, it you know, then I became addicted to methadone. so. Right. Every week, you know, I looked forward to your shows and for the, the next chapter of the the next book. And and it definitely made a very big impact in my life, giving me something to look forward to.
1: It's a, I had a guitar player in one of my bands way back when who was also addicted to heroin and went had He didn't have that cataclysmic episode. But when he finally decided, this is it, I'm done. And watching him go through that, watching him be physically run down and sick and go to methadone and do that whole route. It was uh, it was tough to watch tough to be around but it's it's really interesting that that a little bit of entertainment can can keep you not keep you going but it's it's one little thing to look forward to and it's weird on this cast, one little non-harmful thing to one non one positive yeah 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 thing and we try in this podcast and our in the culture and all the books i write in our social media space we tr- really try and focus on being positive bring a little bit of positivity to the internet and try trying and to get caught in the dumps of everything that goes on but you hear stories like that and uh, as a creator, it's, t- it's totally fucking overwhelming. You're like, because yeah. I've had, we've had, you know, uh, fan meetups where there have been 15 people there and then there's been one person in the back of the room, you don't know is part of the group, then just comes up at the end and just says something along those lines, this was happening and being able to listen to your stuff every week. So uh, it's very cool to have been even a small part of that. And uh, it's, it, it is a testament to the power of storytelling though. hundred percent. A little thing like 100%. that and it can make a difference.
2: It definitely did. The best way to put it was that when, you know, when, when everything seemed bleak, giving me something to look forward to in another week of thinking about it or listening to the show again, it, that is a big benefit because it, it gives you some positivity where you could see, you know, only mm-hmm. darkness, mm-hmm. at least there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Cause a lot of people don't have anything to look forward to. And I certainly couldn't see, you know, where I would have gotten where I'm at now. Oh, sure. Uh, sure. you know, three beautiful kids, beautiful mm-hmm. wife mm-hmm. and a very successful life by any, by any stretch of the imagination to, to think, you know, 10 plus years ago, coming off of heroin that I would be here doing this or even sitting here and talking to you is uh, it would seem absolutely impossible. And, and that's the reason why I like to tell this story or at least a little bit of it, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people out there right now that, that if I would, if they're where they're at now, if I were to tell them they're going to be, or they could even potentially possibly, um, you know, in their, their wildest imagination get to where I am now mm-hmm. They'll all go, it's impossible, but it happened to me and I'm not extra special in any kind of uh, way. I just have the ability to work really hard and and focus really, really hard. But a lot of people that are on drugs have to find drugs and they do anything they can to find drugs. If you take that same kind of focus and dedication on creating success or whatever that means to you, I think people all have it in them. You get a lot done. Yeah.
0: I will say also we, every once I get most of the emails that come in to, if you send an email to scottsigler.com it comes to me and, um. I find a lot, every once in a while, there'll be somebody who is writing on behalf of someone else. Their 14-year-old son really loves this and this and this. Or they're older and um, then uh, we, we have uh, somebody who's like, ah, I really, really like this, Except, And one of the things that we hear, I'd say, ah, uh, three, four times a year, so not that that much, is, well, these stories are so bleak. And they're so violent and there's so much horror in them. And don't you think putting something positive into the world would be better? And every time I laugh because I'm like, this is an escape that you can't get any other way. And this is a thing that I think, you know, especially with his books, The Rookie, which which are um, young adult and about football, 700 years in the future in space. um, We get a lot of emails where people say, I don't like sports at all, and I particularly don't like football, but at least now I can talk to my father-in-law on Thanksgiving Day. And it's the same thing, but in reverse, like you can, if it engages you and it takes you out of your life, even if your life is fantastic, but especially if your life is not fantastic and it gets you a little bit of solace from that so you can focus on something else, like you're saying, it doesn't really matter that it's very violent or horrible or whatever. And it seems like you were having a very, very difficult time in your life and this was not, um... Not a problem that it, that ancestor is quite violent <laughs> and quite bloody oh, yeah. and quite it's, horrible.
1: <laughs> it's escapist. And if, uh, if you're listening to this, if you're hearing a, a droning noise in the background, uh, that is my upstairs neighbor vacuuming, I think. Of, cor- <laughs> of, course, so, of course. Of course. The one shot we get to talk to the Singermans <laughs> and he's vacuuming us We'll do our yeah. best to edit around that, but that's the case. But that's kind of what I, my work I focus on is for 30 minutes, 40 minutes a week. If I do my job correctly, if but work hard enough at it, put in the wrench time, I can take a person out of their life just for that little bit of time. And sometimes that's just enough to let people kind of the re- hit the reset button. Turn mm-hmm. the router on, turn the router off, turn it back on again.
0: Well, it works out pretty that,
1: it works for a lot of people. Yeah,
0: and and I uh, before today and now I probably will also tell this story, but before today when I would communicate with these people who were concerned about like are you sure this is the right kind of fiction to be telling? I would talk about you in the hospital when your father-in-law was dying mm-hmm. and super tough, super really unfair, all that stuff, really hard time. And you would go to the lobby and put on your headphones and plug in your computer and work because it was something that gave you solace. And you were writing at the time, the end of contagious, yep. so hugely horrible, <laughs> you know, you, the fiction of it. Like, like it's a terrible, yeah, it's a terrible scene to be happening to anybody. Uh, and yet it helps you get through that terrible dark, moment in your life.
1: Well, we're delighted that you have hit such heights and you guys are doing so well with the family and, uh, and that's wonderful. And to even be a tiny part of that is, is very, very overwhelming, but we came here to talk about Pulp Fiction. So now it's time to bring out the gimps.
0: Well, oh uh, well, okay. All right. I didn't, I should have waited on the yes. I think
1: <laughs> I don't, it, we, we debated whether we took, we jump into the film and then talk about the cast or talk about the cast and jump into the film. And it's, the the two are inseparable in this particular one so we're going to do Fair. just a quick overview talking about these these key roles of course Jules Samuel Jackson mm-hmm. who is top 10 highest grossing actors of all time if not the highest grossing actor especially thanks to Star Wars and in uh, the Marvel movies mm-hmm. too. And mm-hmm. they measure that by every movie you've been in, tally up the gross of every movie. And I think Samuel Jackson's the number one guy in the in the mm-hmm. history of film right now.
0: And interestingly, wow. yeah. wasn't Tarantino's first choice.
1: Wasn't he? The, wasn't, the correct.
0: Benny the bartender in when they when you first go see uh Is that Iran, who that guy was. That's who he had originally thought would be would be Jules. Wow. And uh and I understand I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but I also understand that um when Samuel L. Jackson went in to read, he was a big enough actor at the time. He thought, well, they just need to get a read. They just need me to he- hear me in the voice. They, he didn't think he was auditioning. Mm. So he was really underwhelming. And they were like, uh, I don't, I mean, are you sure?
2: Yeah, they said he had to come back. And then yeah. They, yeah, they, they said, they said
0: mm-hmm. please have him come back and tell him he's earning this. And then he, and he read the the diner scene at the end and knocked yeah. it out
1: of the park. Of course, so. Of course, legendary. And then uh, Vincent John Travolta, in a which really reboosted his career, mm-hmm. kind of, because he was a Saturday Night Fever guy and hadn't done a whole lot of big things. Is that coming true? up in the movie? Yeah, did they do yeah.
3: Michael
0: sometime around there? Is that after? He only got one hundred and
2: fifty thousand dollars for his role, so, what? so Pretty pretty low. Yeah, they, they spent uh, 5 million of the $8 million of the budget, by the way, I, I studied all this stuff. <laughs> yes. stuff no. So $5 million of the budget, the 8 million was for, uh, salaries and he only got 150 grand. Wow, so That's amazing. He obviously, I mean, in his career, he must've been at a pretty low point to get 150 grand. For right? sure. Yeah,
1: for um, sure. And, uh, Marcellus Wallace Ving Rhames, which is, I think the biggest role, the most famous iconic role Ving oh, yeah. Rhames ever had. He's amazing. In it. And it's
0: my understanding. And tell me if you have read any or studied up yeah. on this either. It's my understanding that, um, Marcellus Wallace really changed the trajectory of Ving Rhames' career and made him go from like character parts and smaller parts and thug parts to Mission Impossible and mm-hmm. things like big, big roles like that. I, this was a jumping off point as opposed to a, you know, like John Travolta sort of coming back on the upswing or Bruce Willis, same sort of this thing. Launch coming him. Up, yeah, yeah,
1: this oh. launch him. Uh, Uma Thurman as Mia Wallace. Was mm-hmm. this her first big role? I don't know.
2: I don't, I don't know. It's definitely know, made her a star. I know she didn't want to do it at first and he had to read her the script over the phone to convince her to do it. No, <laughs> really? I
0: don't know. She's got great dialogue. And I know that Pam Greer, um, was, it was read for the role. She read for the role of Mia Wallace okay. as well. And it, I forget what it was, but it was a, it was a, he didn't think that that powerful personality, I forget which scene it is, but there's one where she wouldn't, he wouldn't believe that she would take that kind of sass.
2: So it was, so it's, it's, um. It, it was the role of uh, Eric Stoltz's wife with all okay. the piercings. Oh, right,
0: right, right. And okay, he's you know, cool.
2: he pretty abusive to her in the yep. movie, telling her, you know, get, get get the fuck out the way yeah. and all this. Am I allowed to get curse? Yes, yeah, oh, okay. absolutely. Just, just making sure. Yeah. There's no
1: yeah. way you can do a yeah. Pulp Fiction podcast. No, okay, I'm just, <laughs> just making sure.
2: <laughs> and, and so he said that he didn't think Pam could uh, handle right,
3: cool,
0: yeah. she,
2: her, right, her personality. She would give it back to him yeah. or not, not punch him in the <laughs> face, right? Pull out a shotgun yeah, and
1: shoot him yeah. and Jackie Brown stop. But is is the
0: is the first time he saw her act with his words and Mm -hmm. ends up doing Jackie Brown eventually.
1: And then of course, butch Bruce Willis. We were talking about this before the podcast. He was already a big star, but was coming off a couple of big flops. Mm -hmm. And uh, this re cemented him as, as an established leading man, Mm -hmm. Harvey Keitel, Christopher Walken in a scenery chewing role. And of course the man, Quentin Tarantino himself. Mm -hmm. There's also a zillion
0: other, like there's a cameo by Steve Buscemi. Mm -hmm. There's a, um, Alexis Arquette before her transition, Kathy 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 Griffin. Griffin, um, uh, uh, Julia Sweeney is, is on the street in the car accident scene. Um, There's one other, oh, uh, uh, Frank Wally, who eventually goes on to a sort of a mid-list career, uh, is the kid who they come after when they break down the door. There's a handful of really, which is, Pursuant to your eight, $5 million worth of salary, yeah. they got, it, totally yeah. had to get scale. And yeah. like Frank Wally was brand new and you know, I get it, but also uh, Roxanne Arquette, Roxanna yeah. Arquette. Yeah.
1: She probably made a pittance too. Very yeah? little, very yeah. little, had a dialogue. All right. So now the way we work this is we kind of, we just kind of roll through the movie, talk about some iconic scenes. And then after come up with things you may know about Pulp Fiction, but other people might not know about (laughs) Pulp Fiction through the study. One thing that's really interesting, as soon as this movie kicks off, it's a five minute cold open Mm -hmm. and no credits, no nothing. And we get a five minute scene that initially doesn't appear to involve anything to do with the rest of the movie until you get much, much farther into the well, movie. Well, it
0: certainly doesn't ha- have anything to do with what you sort of see from the movie poster. It's right at the beginning, but just what you see from the movie poster or what you at that point know about Quentin Tarantino, it's like, oh, this is a lovey-dovey, are they... like? You sort of get that they're a little on the fringe of society, I think, yeah. but you don't think that they're about to rob the... Oh, I should say, as I always forget to say, spoiler, spoiler. if you haven't seen this 25-year-old movie that you should have iconic. seen at least 15 times... This is your fair warning that we're going to spoil but it. But
1: right out of the gates, we get this five-minute scene, and I know many people have talked about this because I've looked it up. But in the, it didn't really hit me until I don't know, it's like the 70th time I watched the movie. I don't know. <laughs> there is there a plot to Pulp Fiction, or is it just character sketches? Do you guys think there is an actual
2: plot? So. so- Go you're ahead, man. The of- well, then, I mean, so it's, it, there's a few people like people's different opinions, right? Mm-hmm. So there's an opinion that, that, the movie is about, uh, coincidence and respect people because mm-hmm. a lot of the events people are either like, um, when you talk about, um, uh, Marcellus Wallace, right? A lot of the things are around respecting him or not respecting him, the foot massage, mm-hmm. or you know, there's a long list of of things. And then obviously you could say it's about coincidence because it's all everything is kind of happening. And then there's a reaction to every opposite, you know. And then uh, and then the other the other people are saying you know that it's just strictly pulp, you know, it's just, just pulp, pulp stories, fiction. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. interesting, sex, drugs, violence. I mean, yeah. it's got it all. It
1: great people- characters, great segments, but mm-hmm. it's. Uh, Strays from our traditional movie where there's not a beginning, a middle, and an end per se, and a, a single storyline that you follow through.
0: That's kind of why I brought up Robert Altman in the beginning because I I personally give me a, give me a couple that Robert Altman uh, has does. Praya Porte* is one. *Nashville* was one. Um, he he does this where it's vignettes that are sort of unrelated that dovetail at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am of the opinion it's the former. Uh, it's respect and coincidence is all is the thread that brings it together. And for example, if you follow Vincent Vega, Vincent. Everybody, like, is kind of giving him shit about, oh, you're taking Marcellus's Marcellus mm-hmm. Wallace's girl out. Good yeah. luck with that. You're done. Like, yeah. obviously you're done. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm going to laugh at her jokes. Yeah. I'm going to drop her off early. It's going to be fine. And then the thing he actually does before he goes to pick up Mia Wallace is he gets shit-faced high, you know? And that is not respectful. That's not respectful of her or of Marcella's. Had he not done that, had he not stopped at Lance's house, she wouldn't OD.
2: Yeah, it's true. she she wouldn't uh, know, yeah, there's
0: all of that stuff because she thought it was Coke and she snorted it, right? So (laughs) it's a lot of things like that, that I think mean the story. And and I I have actually not uh, either heard or have forgotten the idea that it's all just pulp, but I love that. But I I think it's smarter than that.
1: I think it's a little smarter than that. It's part of the swagger of this kid making his second movie ever. Granted, the first one was Reservoir Dogs, which if you haven't seen it, go get it. It's, uh, it's sensational, but little things like that. Five minute cold open. There's no actual plot having, and I've been in rooms and have pitched TV shows and pitched movies. And no matter how much we have prepared and think we've, we've got the questions figured out. A lot of times people make fun of, studio executives but they're also fairly good at their job and they will ask questions that we just weren't prepared for and realize okay we have not fully thought out this idea we got to go back home and do some homework to think about Quentin Tarantino pitching this movie it's almost like a Seinfeld episode yeah there's there's no plot there's <laughs> not going to be any background music we're going to do a 5 minute cold open and then we're going to do two straight minutes of credits just text and nothing else like all of the swagger that goes into this and
0: but i there, wonder if oh go ahead
4: no I, there has to be more thought and intention put into everything. Cause the way everything kind of comes back together. Sure. So there has to be some lesson or message being sent through
0: each, mm-hmm. you know, storyline. I think that I, makes I agree. A, yeah. I would yeah. never say there's no plot. I yeah. would say there's no contiguous plot.
1: It's different little yeah. stories. Yeah. Yeah. Because if
0: you, if I ask you to tell me what Pulp Fishing is about, you can tell me something. It's about Mia yeah, Wallace married to like, no mm-hmm. matter what, it's about Marcellus Wallace learning that he can respect be, be respected in so, several ways. It's a handful of things, but it's not nothing.
2: Right. And then he splits it up and names them. So it's three real stories. You know, you got the, the, the Vincent Vega story, mm-hmm. you got the Marcellus Wallace and then the, uh, the, the portion with the fighting, you know, the, yep. uh, the Butch's watch, yeah, yep. watch. I like, really, that's what it's called. I think uh, the watch story or something. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the, the end you have uh, the, the whole uh, scene at the end. So it's like, there are three uh, actual parts of the movie. So. You know, I mean, like you said, it's not a a contiguous plot plot is probably the best way to say it, but I could certainly give somebody a description about what the movie is about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I also wonder, had he not been, had uh, Tarantino not been at this particular point in his career, because I think this is a spectacular movie. As you know, you guys might not know, Scott has heard plenty. I am, I think, I think he needs an, now that he's older, I think he needs an editor, right? I think he needs somebody to tell him no at some point. But in this movie, he it was the opposite. He was at the beginning of his career with all these, obviously he's this huge talent and, and all these great ideas bursting forth. And he already had the success of Reservoir Dogs, which is also non-contiguous. So, and he's in, he's literally the, the favorite child, the favorite son of the Miramax oh, yeah. family at the mm-hmm. time. So I think had it, had he not been a Miramax kid, like had he not, had they not embraced him? I don't think this
2: yeah. whatever you might have had a really made. hard time yeah. selling it to somebody oh, sure. like, uh, yeah. Sitting yeah. in front of people yeah. like you have. And, and you don't have this history of making hundreds of millions of dollars. Correct. You, right. right.
1: Correct. Yeah. And it did this movie And did, lucky for uh,
0: us. He was able to do that. Yeah. yeah <laughs>
1: it's, it's, I will say this and we'll jump back into it. First time I saw it fucking hated it.
2: Really? I saw it, wow. at, the really? dollar, I saw it at the
1: dollar theater. Uh, me and my ex went, uh, and we, and I'd heard of this so all. It's about I'm like Pulp Fiction. Okay, whatever. Fine. It's a dollar. We'll go check it out. We went yeah. and checked it out and I walked out of there. And I'm like, during the movie, I almost got up and left because you
0: were like, "The fuck is happening?" I'm a,
1: I'm well, I'm a storyteller. It's so yeah. what I at, at that time I was an aspiring storyteller, but now it's what I do for a living. So I've been wanting to do this since I've been six years old, yeah. and I'm a linear storyteller. I believe in very. I can have multiple plot threads coming together, but first he told it out of order. Shit, wouldn't make any sense, and I was mad. And I remember walking out of the theater and like literally almost asking, "I, I wanted my dollar back." <laughs> 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 but really? As we're walking out. As uh, my ex and I were walking out of the theater, I'm like, and then there was this scene. She's like, yeah, that kind of connected to this scene. I'm like, okay, I suppose I see that. And then by the time we got to the car, like a literally like a two-minute walk, we're like, ah, screw it. Well, you know, let's just come see it again tomorrow. We came back the next day and watched it again. At that point, I was completely So it, it, like
2: offended your sensibilities as a, as a storyteller. It, yeah, it yeah. did. and he broke the rules. He,
1: he broke a lot of the rules in not being able to see the connections. When I went back again and saw... All of the setup and foreshadowing, which we're going to get into some of it. When I did that, I was like, holy shit, this is probably the coolest film I've ever seen in my life. But we'll talk about those connections.
0: I love that you shared that story and I'm going to share, I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit to say what's so interesting about that to me, why my jaw was dropping was he quotes Pulp Fiction in every, at every opportunity. And he, he quotes the, he ta- he calls me Winston Wolf a lot when I like problem solve something. He talks about giving little man, I give the watch to you about anything. Like he will hand me a lunch plate you know, with a, with a salad on it, a, a little man, I give amazing. the watch to you. So it's fascinating <laughs> but, to me that all of that came from a movie that you thought I, you hated. <laughs> I
1: hated it right off the bat. And, uh, there are Pulp Fiction lines in almost every book I've published are, too. Yeah. So yeah. then we get into, uh, right after that intro scene, we get into Royale with cheese, which is, there's so many iconic moments in the movie, but this is a, this is a big one. And we're in a car. We don't know who these guys are. It's just two guys shooting the shit, you know? It's no tough guy talk, no establishing how badass they are, which is a storyteller I would be tempted to do. I have to do something to let people know these are some tough, tough hombres and they don't. And then they stop. They're looking at trunk, getting weapons. And they're talking about going up and taking on five guys Mm -hmm. when they're talking, we should have shotguns for this. A lot of what Tarantino's storytelling style is use normalcy and the mundane to set up a bigger Surprise. punch yeah. so that when these people, you think like, Oh, Royal cheese, that's great. The metric system. I would have never thought of that. And now they're talking about that. They're so blase about pop killing people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes them so much more mm-hmm. dangerous. Right. Yeah,
2: it's funny. Cause now that you're saying this, you know, obviously I've watched it again on the way here, as I said, and I've watched it, whatever, 20 times, 30 times. So it's funny. Cause you, to pull, I really should have pulled myself out of seeing it 20 times because you're right. Oh, there's a lot of surprises like the honey bunny, you know, when, when they, when they when she stands up and says, you know, I'll, I'll kill any, you know, I'll kill it. What does she say? Scott? I'll kill every
5: I'll single kill one of I'll you motherfuckers I'll execute every one of motherfuckers. Oh, that's fuckers. it. Yeah yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. So anyway, that, uh, that when she stands up, that would be, I'm sure the first time you saw it, for, well, maybe not you, you are mad then, but maybe you mad, but, <laughs> but, but, but when I saw it, I, I remember being shocked, being like, oh, what that? And yeah, they
0: downplay their character
2: yeah. before yeah.
0: the actual, yeah. 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 you know. And further to that, what Darielle was saying earlier about, well, it, it, there has to be some story because it, it it locks together so well. I think when they get back in the car after they've been in the apartment and they have the kid in the back and whatever, like that moment that changes everything about the movie. When Vincent Vega accidentally, Mm -hmm. unknowingly shoots a guy's head off, Marvin's head off. uh, That's a moment you don't expect. Even though you've been told, like, because they have built this blasé, oh, it's no big deal. We're just talking. We're just guys. We're talking about going to Amsterdam. Oh, guns. Okay. And then they're, but you can, and you know, they've killed people in the apartment. But the clumsiness is the thing that just drives me over the top. Like, what? Yeah. It's one of those character things like you talk about in Predator with the guy who's got the who's always shaving his face with the razor like mm-hmm. it's this tiny little character sketch that is like
3: oh,
1: Vince it Vega is an idiot. And <laughs> He's it, an idiot. And it's it's definitely breaking a, a the unwritten rules of storytelling while well, you can't have a random coincidence completely drive your plotline. But it doesn't. This he accidentally shoots the guy in the back seat, and so much of this movie gets it gets cooler upon every rewatch. Mm-hmm. Which is Tarantino. We throw the word genius around pretty casually in our culture and pop pop culture, especially. But I don't know any other way to describe it. The way the story is threaded and all the subtle all the subtle things. The two guys, Jules and Vincent, jabbering about foot massages. And the first time I watched, them, I'm like, "What the fuck are these guys talking about? This is yeah. ridiculous." And then you see how many points down along the movie that the foot massage comes back up until the real punchline when Mia Wallace is like you think he threw him out of a four-story window because he touched my feet and it's her delivery of it that makes that whole conversation they had so utterly ridiculous you see that up on the rewatch Now, the first time you guys watched it, you loved it right out of the gate. Mm -hmm, Did you love right out of the gate?
4: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It definitely made an impression on me. Yeah. And did it,
1: when you rewatched it, were you, was there new discovery for it? Or you just kind of like, Mm you every time you watch it, it's something different. There's new
2: discovery this last time. Even how we just talked about the foot massage, how Vincent Vega takes a step towards Jules, you know, pauses, take a step towards him and says, would you massage a guy's <laughs> foot? And like, get, fuck you. Like, get the fuck out of here or something. Yeah. Get the fuck
0: out of my face. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. We get through that scene. Uh, the, and the, there's a Royale with cheese callback, big kahuna burger. And then the, of course the, the thing that Samuel Jackson will forever be remembered for the Ezekiel twenty five seventeen speech, mm-hmm which the dialogue is fucking irrelevant. I, I, yeah. There's a lot of great lines in that, but it doesn't matter. He could have been talking about a bread recipe. Yeah. It's just that performance is one of the greatest single scene performances in all of Hollywood history, I think.
0: Well, and I also think that that's a, a really true, a mark of a really true talent in Quentin Tarantino because because each time that comes into the movie, and he does it three, at least three times, uh, he starts it in the. He does it in the beginning. He starts it in the middle, and then he does it, of course, in the big diner scene in the end, mm-hmm. when he talks about I've been doing that for years. Why am I doing this? And I yeah. never really heard it until now. I have no idea what Ezekiel. What I don't even know the numbers. Like I still don't. I've seen it a zillion times. You hear it three times each time you watch the movie. Couldn't give you a single line. Unlike Snoop Dogg, I walk through the valley like. A lot of people know that Bible verse. Thanks to Snoop Dogg. Mm -hmm. None of us know that because we're not listening to the words. We're watching the act. We're watching it unfold.
1: You you kind of blank out watching it. It's just awesome. 21 minutes in the movie, we meet Bruce Willis, the fighter. That's that, that storyline and a couple really cool rule breaking directorial things here too. We get, when we first meet Bruce Willis, we get one and a half minutes of fixed camera which is an eternity in the movie. For a camera to be locked on one thing for for a minute and a half, you guys, next time if you listen to this, next time you watch a movie, go in and see how long it takes them to typically change the camera oh, yeah. angle. Mm-hmm. It's, it about, it's about it's every, about every three to five to seven seconds. If it goes more than 15 seconds, you start to get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'll use that a lot. And this is a minute and a half of just a voice off camera, uh, Marcellus Wallace, talking to Butch and watching Bruce Willis have no lines at all, just glare. You're seeing mm-hmm. him just, in his acting prowess, just glare that he has to sit there and eat this giant pile of shit. And that's,
2: and that's when they're not, you know, you don't see Marcellus Wallace's Correct. face. You're just seeing the, in band-aid. the background, you're, in the foreground. This is really, even you're before that. you get to the band-aid. Okay. it's just
1: Bruce Willis and a voiceover. Uh, and okay. then we only, the only change comes when, when uh, Marcellus Wallace's hand comes in with the envelope full of cash, which he pulls away, you know? Uh, and so we're talking about, to over two minutes of a camera just fixed on Bruce Willis. That goes back to the swagger of Quentin Tarantino. Like trying to get that done. If oh, you're it's not so much bigger darling, than that too. Tell me, it's there's no Foley
0: work. There's no. It's not. There's no crinkling when he hands the envelope. So it's all just what you see. And no
1: camera pan or no truck. no camera or, pan. No, no truck.
0: No movement. No bed music. No background music. Because a lot of times, like Hitchcock did that quite a lot, where he. It was a single take or a single scene or the camera didn't move, but everybody moved in it. But there was a ton of storytelling, for lack of a better phrase, that's not quite right, with the surging music or the slamming of doors or the fight off off camera. And you don't hear any of that. You don't hear the bartender clicking a thousand bottles or cleaning the bar. You don't hear
1: any of that. You just hear the soliloquy. So
2: you're you're telling me, because I don't know about the movie business at all, it would be hard to sell that? Oh like my if God! If you're like it'd this, be, running, they're gonna. Nope. It'd
1: be ludicrous. There's there's a formula to movies and television, and the general rule of thumb is to break that formula. You have to make that formula a couple of times, and you have to prove yourself. Okay, I wrote this screenplay and this screenplay, and these both made a profit margin of fifty percent. Everybody got their money back, and then some. Then you get more creative control because everybody wants to bet on the winner, until you have a failure, and then it kind of start over again. Exactly. But to, to come in and do something like that that is so. Um, the antithesis of what accepted movie make, what what the executives do is they're like, here's what people want to see. You know, we need to have the love story. We need to have the triangle. We need our young ingenue. We need our guy. The guy's got to be five to 10 years old. Like it, there's all, so much formula when you watch a lot of movies and what goes on. And then somebody come in and break the formula is, is really effing rare. And for someone that young with only one movie under his belt, and I'd written things, but one big movie under his belt to be able to do that, this goes into a, hey, do you know about this, his relationship with the Weinstein's? Did they just discover him and, and tap him or something? Oh, you know, I don't quite remember because
0: I, I, I always get it. I'll just say out loud. I always get it confused with Troy Duffy who made Boon uh, boondock saints. Okay. Boon, and, and the apocryphal story of, of Troy Duffy is that one of the Weinsteins went into the bar where he was bartending and was like, I understand you have this. I read this. I would like to buy this from you. And he was like, cool. I need $2 million in this bar. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm not sure which Weinstein it was. I think it was Harvey. And he was like, eh, I'll give you 1 million in this bar. And this is like a kid literally bartending, right? I have no idea if that's true, but I get these two things mixed up all the time. So honestly, I don't know how Tarantino got uh, to Miramax, but I do know that he they they bet a huge amount of their bank on him. Mm-hmm. And he was the sort of the art, 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 auteur, um, risky, gritty they recognized, Those were be they, they
1: felt he was a good horse. Right. And on.
0: like Kevin Smith, they also did the same thing to Kevin yep. Smith when they could, but Kevin Smith was the lighthearted, funny, they were different things. His so they first were movie,
2: like, Clerks couldn't have cost much money. To no, make not either. very much yeah. at all. $37,000. Um, $37, yeah, so. But it,
1: it, it kind of breaks down like this. People write a script or a director comes in with a script, working out with a screenwriter or writing it himself or herself. And like, it's a tight 90 pages. They've got a vision. They know everything's going to go. And then, then you get notes. So somebody from that wants to buy from the studio, like we like your idea, Aaron, but here's some notes from our intern or here's some notes from me. Want you see if you can work any of these things into it. So then you have to make a decision as a creator. Well, no, I'm going to stick to this and like, okay, cool. I hope you sell it to somebody else that won't work for us because they want to hit those key marketing points. Hmm. You know, again, the ingenue people this age following this plot line. So you go back and you modify it and you try and modify it to sale. which we've done. I've rewritten some screenplays five times and wound up not getting a sale. Um, Cause they usually wind up being a muddled mess, but it's then you sell the screenplay. Then the movie starts going to pre-production and more people get involved. You know, the, the director of photography gets involved and there are always studio executives coming in. You know what we, I like, I like a, but we're going to go, we're going to go with this person that we're grooming. We think she's a better bet. Cause we also have her in this movie, a lot of connections. The plot line gets watered down. Scenes like Quentin Tarantino got away with, with Bruce Willis. I think a lot of people write those scenes, but studios come in and say, we can't, you, you're not going to hold the camera. People are going to walk out. This won't work.
2: So it also, if you're too strong and you're like, no, then they may just say, okay, never mind." See which happens, yeah, so. which sure. happens a lot.
1: And so. that's a tough choice for the movie executives. Do I want to bet on this couple who wrote this screenplay and let them roll, let them do their own thing, not having a massive amount of success or experience, or do we want to bring our 80 years of institutional knowledge to come in and say this is what you need to do to modify it. So the fact that he got away with that,
2: that's cool. It so was, was impressive.
4: Was there, cause I was what year did it come out? Because I was young.
2: You were a baby. Mm-hmm. I, that was 94. I was 14. Yeah, I was like you were. seven.
4: <laughs> seven. <laughs> so, it, was there um, criticism over these People things? Love the with, movie. Or was yeah. it an immediate
1: hit? I don't know. You've looked up the critical reviews. Was it a big hit right out of the it, gate?
2: It got, I know it got great reviews. And I know that uh, John Travolta got uh, nominated for Academy Award, you know? So, I mean, okay. I think. I, I
0: don't remember. I think. Uma Thurman no, right. did as well. I almost said Mia Wallace. She got a best supporting yeah. actress nod too. She didn't win.
2: Yeah. So, um, I, I don't remember exactly, but I, I remember that the reviews were, were almost all positive. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Siskel and Evert gave it two thumbs up. You know, there was they no, rotten tomatoes. Then, there was no yeah. rotten tomatoes or anything, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, I think it, it did very well uh, in the reviews initially. Yeah.
1: And talking about Tarantino getting to do his own vision, that rolls into what we talked about earlier, 30 minutes in, we get to the big heroin scene and you talked about this, that people were upset about the glorification of drugs and yeah, it's, fucking john travolta and it's you know he's all looking good and clean he's the he's the dashing rogue and you get to see that side of things but then this is something we get into in our in our world and in the stories i write you know people are like okay well you're you're being too violent towards women in this scene and i'm like i just had 18 guys get slaughtered in the chapter before the scene what mm-hmm. is why aren't you looking at that and in Pulp Fiction, it comes into yeah, it sort of glorifies that, but then you see what Mia, Mia Wallace G-O-D's goes through. Yeah, and G.O.D.s. You watch all of the horrible things that happen to these people, and that's not part of the conversation. That it's also showing the a potential the dark side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, I
0: mean, and that's why it takes you know two and a half hours to tell this story is because it is complex. But I think that's one of the most interesting things about the glorification uh, criticism, which I get because Vincent Vega does just fine.
2: Yeah. You know he's cool. He's chilled out. I think they didn't like the showing the the needle in the vein. Yeah, for heart, sure, where they and the show it, pretty you know?
0: sexy. And He looks this, like he's
2: all having yeah, a good time. Yeah, and that know?
0: whole like close up is really sexy. Yeah. Like it's it's they got the beautiful motion of the the blood coming back up into the needle, and it's a weird thing to say it that way, but it is pretty to look at. That's a you know it's a pretty it's that same thing with those little art pieces that water flows back and forth. It's sort of weirdly soothing, but I do think that there is nothing at all pretty about. Mia Wallace's OD. Like, she, there's mm-hmm. a, for such a beautiful woman and such a, a, a curated actress that she is today, especially, mm-hmm. like, holy cats, that was ugly.
2: Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, here's something I, I learned that I wouldn't have known, most people won't know, is that they, you know, the scene where he he stabs her in the heart, right? Where John Travolta or Vincent Vega stabs her in the heart, mm-hmm. they actually record it backwards. So okay. they put the needle in it and then he pulls it out really fast. Oh.
3: Uh-huh.
0: Cool. Um, because
2: uh, I guess, uh, you know, imagining slamming into her like that probably wouldn't be, wouldn't be good. So uh, they actually do it in reverse, which I thought hmm, was neat.
0: That is you know. neat. And that's I wonder
4: if... Um, now I have to go back and see that part. Yeah, me
0: <laughs> Like
4: everything in reverse. Hey, in anybody background? listening
0: at home, if you want to pause right here, uh, call that up on YouTube. That's what I would do if I was listening uh, at home. Okay. But I will say that that is interesting because I, I am currently dealing with a shoulder injury and I keep screwing up because it's in my dominant arm and you just are... I'm 47. I'm used to doing like everything. And they'll be like, Ooh, and that I, I keep learning. I'm in PT and I keep, she keeps saying like, you can't leave your hand on a hot stove. You can't, even if you want to, you can do it accidentally, but you cannot force yourself to leave your hand there. That's what's happening. And I wonder if that was happening to John Travolta where he couldn't bear the idea of slamming, slamming. down into her sternum. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, and that would look like a pulled punch, yeah. you know,
1: he couldn't do it. And usually a bunch of the threads come together. First of all, this is like the best date ever. Like they, yeah. they don't want to admit it's a I date. I
0: mean, I would have gone to Jack Rabbit Slim's in a heartbeat.
1: <laughs> in a heartbeat. There, which does, did not exist, by the way. They built that in a soundstage. But these two people are clearly attracted to each other. They're clearly in sync with each other, uh, and it's very interesting to watch the loyalty trouble of of Vincent Vega in this. And then, the foot rub comes up. We find all that inane foot rub talk was not inane at all. It's very crucial to this, and the foreshadowing of showing Mia Wallace glamorous drugs snoring coke comes into play heavily with pulling the bag out. So mm-hmm. a lot of these are the little things. I don't. I wonder if he wrote it all linearly and then broke it up in retrospect, which he. Pr- I'm going to guess he probably did because everything is so integrated, and then we get to the the great. Adrenaline shot where she is ODing and Eric Stoltz is great. Everybody's great in that scene. Watch yeah. people mm-hmm. running around, screaming at each other yeah. fighting. There's no,
2: it looked real. It looked like it looked real, real panic. And yeah, it and like yeah. real panic. Craziness. Except for the goth girl on the couch. Yeah.
0: The goth girl on couch, which for years I was like, what is this girl doing? There's literally a woman <laughs> vomiting through her nose in, in this person, in this person's line of sight, literally on the ground in front of the couch, she's sitting, doing nothing on. And then prepping for this podcast, I read, Tarantino did that on purpose because in his limited experience, every time he'd like go pick up weed, I guess, or mm-hmm. something, there's always in a house like that with a dealer, there's always like a random person wow. doing nothing. Yeah, yeah that's that's And he was true. like, I got to have that random person in there. And I was it's like, true. yeah. And, and that I was makes like, sense. <laughs> ah, yeah, that makes
1: sense. They even have that in uh, Dave Chappelle's half baked. On the couch, nobody knows who he is. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the scene is really is more awesome Filmmaking, because when you first see Uma Thurman as Mia Wallace, that's a hot. That is a hot woman. She's confident and she got the, the cool look going on, the cool makeup and the hair, and she looks awesome, like Hollywood awesome. After the OD scene when he brings her home, she's got a brown shirt on instead of the white tight, co- like a brown sweater on. Her makeup has all come off and she looks twelve. Yeah, she sure looks like rock. a tiny little. Uh, she goes from confident former actress to this tiny little girl who's just ruined. And it's very powerful.
0: I will say also there's that scene is very revealing to me because there's that moment where Vince Vega says to her, so like, uh, what are we going to do about this? And she is just as scared as he is Mm -hmm. because she's like, maybe we don't ever talk about it again. But she's really afraid that he's going to tell he's going to have to own this for Marcellus and that is going to be hell to pay for her. But we have no idea why Marcellus doesn't seem like a, like an arbitrarily violent man. Mm-hmm. So it's, you can't like, there's no, Oh gosh, he'll, he'll hit me. It's, she's just terrified. Cause she does, but you don't know why doesn't want to lose her life. Doesn't want to lose her man, doesn't want, like, doesn't, has done this before, was supposed to be on the straight narrow. who knows? Mm-hmm. You just know she's terrified.
2: I bet he would have, uh, I bet he would have done something to her for sure. Yeah. It mean, yeah. seems like that. He, yeah, when, powerful. When they're uh, looking for uh, Butch, you know, they, and they're asking when Butch runs off, which we'll get to in a minute. He tells that they said the um, the bartender tells him he doesn't know anything. He's I think he doesn't know anything, and he says set the dogs off on him. And we have to find out for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like whoa, take, yeah. Him yeah. take him to the kennels. Take him to the kennels. Dogs on him. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So,
2: like okay, so he's really bad. He's a then, bad. Yeah.
1: He's a bad man, which yeah. is also wonderful storytelling to be able to, to to portray someone that bad. It's the things you don't see that amplify the few small things that you do see.
0: Right. And and those two people in that scene being so terrified of a person not in that scene mm-hmm. and, and not even in town. We know yeah. that's why right. Vincent is there is great.
1: We'll get to the watch scene, which is probably my favorite scene in no. the movie. Christopher we'll Walken scene. talking about a watch up his ass to a seven-year-old
2: boy you is... Know.
1: You
4: got to reenact that another, scene at
2: least
3: <laughs> a handful of times in your life. And
2: that's another one though that's a great thing where he sets it up and then there's the the surprise because yep. he's setting it up telling the story about the watch and the history of the watch of the grandfather and the World War 1 and World War 2 and etc, you know, giving it to the his his buddy on the ship before he goes. That was to always Normandy my least favorite
4: scene. I'm like, all right, got there. we'll get to well, the point. That was my favorite, One my favorite. <laughs> Well, until the end yeah. when they're, and then it's so, like, oh, okay.
2: And then, so, and he comes up with the, he had in his ass for two years before he died of dysentery. You're like, yeah. <laughs> well, his father died Yeah, dysentery. yeah. 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> and then that's all served up. You get, hear this riveting performance, but largely this strange, inane story. Like, why are we? Yeah. Telling to this, this little boy. <laughs> and it all hooks up with one tiny line later in the movie. Do you know what my father went through to get them? give me that watch? I'm not going to go into it, but it was a lot. Like that's, <laughs> right. Three seconds of dialogue. Like Now everything comes back and makes so much more sense. Why have I seen this? This is why.
0: But remember, it's also a callback to the first time that we see Butch. The first time that we yeah, see he's Butch. He's thinking about the watch. And, yeah. he's, and he's sitting right there. Listening the whole time and not saying anything. And his facial expression doesn't change and nothing changes there. And you don't really... That's sort of... um, I don't know what to call it. Sort of like art on the walls or background noise. Like it's not... It's not. Hey, do you see what I'm doing here? I'm quite cool. This is a callback to that earlier motionless scene. It's he just lets it happen.
2: You know, you know, in that scene, I was wondering because the the whole respect thing, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of uh, was Butch already deciding to take the money, or how much of the uh, of his decision to take the money, win the fight, and run off came into play by the lack of respect he was shown being called. Uh, Ooh. What is what did he call him? Vincent Fagan called him a, a Palooka or something. Yeah, Palooka. Yeah, he's like, washed is, palooka, yeah. Yeah, palooka. You're not your friend. I ain't your friend, Palooka. palooka yeah, What'd yeah. you say? You heard me fine, Punchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and then he sits down with uh, Marcellus Wallace and more uh, more disrespect, saying, you know, your your time, your good time's over. You know, you're you're yeah. done. And uh, so I wonder how much of that plays into his decision, or was does he always going to, or was the disrespect too much? I know?
1: I can't speak for all. People, but that initial scene with with Bruce Willis sitting there and for people who've ever had to sit and, and take, take, eat a pile of shit at some point in your life, most people have had to do it. And that look Bruce Willis gives is just like, you know, like he knows, like I could knock you the fuck out anytime I want to big man. I can take you out easy, but he's got to sit there and he's just got to listen. He he has to listen until Ving Rhames is done. No, like I got you. We don't need to go over this. He just, it's, it's, it's understated that he just will sit there until Bing Rhames is finished with him. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, a couple of scenes setting up for the fight are pretty cool. Uh, we'll skip over those unless you want to cover anything heading up into the fight. Um, I will this, say
0: this: one of the only things I don't like uh, heading into the fight. Uh, oh no, no, no! After the fight,
1: never mind. I'll yeah. wait until we. So we get into the love story of Butch and his girl. Um, it's a story about pot bellies and oral sex. I think that's all mm. I got out of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and these sweetie poo nicknames and this. Oh, that the character I hate the most in the movie is, is that girl. The girl yeah, me yeah. too. I actually. never
3: liked. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, so too. That,
1: so that was she actually
0: liked. what to be disliked. I maybe. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I, that's what I was just going to say, but I thought, let me wait until the fight is over mm-hmm. is, oh my God, she's. She's terrible. intentionally yeah. terrible, uh-huh. but I don't think the actress is bad. Oh, the actress I, is know. A great job. I think you, it you might almost be, you get mad to, at
4: her yeah. for him yeah. also when it's like, how could you leave that? And yeah. yeah, but don't
1: he's you? clearly, he's so in love with her yeah. and he, he's like, Oh God, here we go. Oh no. I, and he's patient and tries to come back. And he knows the, the vocal rhetoric he needs to get to, to get out of these situations Um, but again, it's more inane dialogue setting up great stuff. And the movie honestly drags a lot at that point. That's the one rough spot I have for it. But then we, we see him, we see him flip a switch. We never see him actually fight except for Vincent, except for Marcellus Wallace at the end. But when he realizes that she's left the watch behind and you watch him just lose his shit, you're like, okay, there's the rage that was being controlled while he had to eat shit from Marcellus Wallace Mm -hmm. and a lot of subtleties. Like he doesn't, get to go to breakfast with her. So when he goes to his apartment, he gets a pop tart instead of the blueberry pancakes. And another rule breaking scene, you watch uh, the camera follow Bruce Willis to his apartment for kind of over a minute. And there's no music. There's no back. There's very little background noise. You just track him. It's almost a precursor of the found footage movies that took over when, um, Blair Witch Project kicked in. So really, really interesting approach to it. And we get to watch then run over, Marcellus Wallace and the whole GIMP scene and Zed and that batshit. Like, we've already known, while we're watching this. We know this is a bat shit crazy movie. And then
2: we get into that whole batshit crazy stuff in the pawn shop. And it's just, it's awesome. I have to stop you because I wanted to say one thing about him shooting Vincent Vega. When okay. He shot Vincent Vega. I, uh, That was a part that I got sad for because I was like, damn. Yeah, yeah. you love Vincent Vega. Yeah, I was bummed when he shot him. I was like, damn. He's I, definitely dead too. I yeah Yes, for dead. sure. Yeah.
1: I thought about that from my own work for that scene this time around, because once you create a character that you love so much as a writer, and then if you got to kill him, like in that same book, whew, that's really, really hard to do. Yeah, but I'm sure Tarantino didn't, didn't give a crap. Um, we get, we get through that. Uh, it's if you've seen it, don't need to go into it too much, but
0: what I will say this, this is the moment for me where, um, and I think not just for me, where all of a sudden you're like, cool. I realize I have no idea what's happening because <laughs> Why is th- that? Is what is happening? And, and that is the moment for me. I actually liked the movie the first time I saw it, but at that moment, I was like, "Okay, maybe they're not coming together." Like maybe I thought, "Okay, just keep going, just keep watching. It'll make more sense soon. It'll make more." And then right with the with the white car and running over, you're like, "Okay, kind of coming together, kind of come." And then you're like, "What?
1: Just, just takes happened? a left turn. Takes a left turn.
0: <laughs> is that a man in vinyl? What is happening? Why did they <laughs> let that man in vinyl out of a box? Like all that <laughs> stuff." And then I'm like, "I'm no longer in." And then it totally comes together
1: and it goes back to loyalty, which is a weird thing. Everybody's loyal to Marcellus Wallace in this movie, mm-hmm. including Bruce Willis at the end, Bruce Willis escapes the rape dungeon and could walk away from a man who wants him dead, who wants his family dead, who's going to hunt him to the end of ends of the earth. He goes yeah. to Indochina, so he'll pop out of a bowl of rice to shoot him because of <laughs> yeah. Marcellus Wallace. And he, he goes back, he goes back to rescue Marcellus Wallace. I think
2: think that, that, uh, that it was too horrible. What was happening to him? You know what I mean? I think that, you know, I think obviously Butch's character has uh, more compassion than, than you would think because he's, he's obviously seen what's, what's going on and knows what's happening to him. And I think that he can't, leave and just say, screw it. You know, let this guy get raped and killed. Yeah. Certainly raped and killed. And there's an interesting scene that I, in researching it a little bit that I would never picked up on. Let's see if you know what I'm, if you like, if you recognize this. Okay. So there's a sign for uh, Killian's red, Killian's red beer on Mm -hmm. the wall. As Bruce is walking out, it's a sign and the letters are only lit up is kill and then Ed, right? Mm -hmm. And he picks up Zed's key to leave and has a big Z on it. And he looks at the key, the Z, and he looks up at the sign only for a moment and with the Z it says kill Zed. Mm. And that's, that's when he awesome. turns around to to check out the weapons. Do you think that was intentional? It has to be. It has right? to, it yeah, has to yeah, be. A Quentin Tarantino it has to be. Like I never saw that in the movie, but when I was watching all these videos uh today and yesterday on uh, YouTube about the hidden meanings of Okay. Uh, I'm like, whoa. Like, Cause how could that be a coincidence? Yeah, that can't be, you yeah. know, that's the reason why like some of the interesting, more interesting fan theories. It sound believable because you're like this guy obviously thought about all this in in great detail. Like how do you get a sign and turn off the letters and have him you know because who's going to really pick up on that? Yeah, it was, and it's it a quick.
1: set. Everything's controlled. It's a so. set. They're thinking through
2: everything. Yeah. They pretty much see right.
0: Uh, not necessarily. Okay. I mean, a lot of sets are found and especially a set that's out, this is outside. So unless that entire no, that's inside. thing. So that,
2: that was in the bar where he walks towards the exit of the bar and he finds the, the keys. Oh, okay. And then okay, they're yeah. right there. Oh, I the see, Oh yeah. Yeah. I God. do remember. Cause I, t- I distinctly
0: key. remember the Z. Yeah. The mm-hmm. Z. Um,
2: Big silver Z. For yeah, yeah, cycle, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I do think though that it had to, that had to be a
3: choice. Yeah. And I'm really,
1: that's awesome. I love that. The, I just learned something. One question I've been waiting for through this whole thing. It's eight o'clock in the morning. They shoot Marvin. They're at Quentin Tarantino's house. They have to call the wolf and they call the wolf and the wolf is at a black tie party at eight o'clock in the morning. Formal dress black tie party. Yeah. What the fuck with that?
2: That's unusual.
1: Yeah. That's the weirdest part of it. Not like 11. It's a late formal brunch. It's eight o'clock in the fucking morning. And these are gangsters and thugs. What's going on?
2: Yeah. We didn't get an explanation of that. I didn't yeah. see in any of the things they never, nobody ever like any of the videos. Nobody ever said like, this is what he was at. You
0: and know? you have to figure they wanted, they wanted Winston Wolf in a tux.
2: Yeah. Like Apparently. to be in this
0: terrible, terrible, like cleanup situation, completely cool under pressure, beautiful car.
2: Zach, your NSX. I fell in love yeah. with that car.
1: Yeah. I, I think I know what it is. There's a movie about drugs. They are still up.
2: That, that makes sense. They've good been up day. from the
1: night before, but they're so refined. Yeah. They're still walking. They look good. <sighs> I don't look like, I've been to a party where I've stayed up till eight like, like o'clock morning. I didn't look like that. You know, it's
0: funny. I had not, we've not talked about this before right now, but cause I didn't know that uh, you had mentioned that. Why is it? Why are they all dressed up? But when I first saw that scene, and in fact, when we rewatched it a, a little bit ago, I thought I, both times I was like, I think it might be, is this, are they sitting Shiva? which is yeah. what you do yeah. after oh. Jewish people die you sit in the living room like and, and, and I don't know why because you don't dress up to sit there uh, you don't wear a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do, but each time I'm like
4: I, and I think it's because it's like the only lots of explanation you can and I think that it's because he's on the yeah. f- and
0: you don't quite realize he's on the phone with, with Vincent Vega and Jules at that moment or who's ever and I guess Marcellus is instructing him to go fix yeah. it or whatever you don't quite get that right when the scene opens so you see him sitting in the dark room and you see people moving outside and I don't know why both times, and then I have to do the other part like, no, he wouldn't be in a tuxedo I
2: think at all. Well, Fizz kind of could be a Jewish name, so you yeah. never know. It could be that could be the answer to He they're has just... to
4: just throw in some confusing yeah. points so that that just throw you off and yeah, have it's no point. explanation. Yeah.
1: Which really screws you up when you when you first go back and try and piece together the order in your head, the order of the film. The fact that they're dressed up kind of threw me off. I didn't yeah. really realize it was eight o'clock in the morning. Everything comes together in the diner scene at the end. We have a honey bunny. And everything goes south. We've got the boys dressed up in their uh, banana slugs, t-shirts, <laughs> still trying to look badass in their shorts and t-shirts and uh, some more great performances, which brings us out of the movie. And we're, we're running along in this podcast. So what we will go to now is that's our rough review of the film.
0: And I have a super important question to ask all three of you Shoot. since you're big fans. What's in the suitcase? What's in the briefcase?
2: Oh, I have the, that. that's what I wanted to, t- that, that was my. I feel like it, at yeah. first, I think it, at
0: yeah. first it's I thought, saving was... the sun. You, you
2: know? <laughs> do you have a theory? Well, so I know all the theories. Hit so me, I know me. all the theories. So the theories are a is gold. That's right. what I think. Um, th- so that was shot down because the amount of gold to fit in the briefcase Correct. to be like it. 600 pounds. So there's no way he's why, wa- even if it's 300 pounds, you know, cause the bars, those, the typical gold bars are super heavy. Mm-hmm. Oh, so oh, yeah. if it's gold, probably not, doesn't make a lot of sense. They said diamonds but he'd used diamonds in the past. So it's okay. probably not going to be diamonds. Plus it glows. It glows. Well, they're saying, he was saying, so some of the theories would be that there was a yellow cover over the, the, like a, a silk, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And then the other one is yellow cake, which is like a nuclear material.
3: Um, <laughs> Everybody. <right>? Yellow <laughs> cake. <all> dead. <laughs> uh, well, see, that's the thing
2: about yellow cake. Yellow cake has a two billion, $2 billion year half-life. So it emits very little, um, radiation, so it can be okay. handled by a human, not but for it, a long period, but it could. Does it glow? I don't think it glows. The, not, I don't uh, know. I mean, that was a theory, and then maybe uh, it
0: is also wrapped in yellow silk.
2: There you go. Maybe, maybe yellow kick is yellow. I mean, <laughs> you know. um, and then the uh, the final one, which is the one that sounds the least likely, but this seems to be the one that everybody believes is the right one. This is the the one that people are choosing to believe is that it's actually Marcellus Wallace's soul. That they are, this oh. is the, his soul in here. And so the theory goes is the Band-Aid is because he made a deal with the devil. <laughs> okay. and that's how apparently in mythology or something, they remove, the devil removes the soul from the back of the head, right? So, which is something I hadn't heard either. I have not heard of that either. So the the soul is taken and those four gentlemen, uh, Marvin being one of them, is demons that uh, that are that have been taken, you know, that are to, took the soul and are now transporting the soul. Okay. And when he opens the uh, the case, it's obviously six six six, right? And they, these two guys, whether they know it or not, uh, Vincent Vega and uh, Jules are actually uh, serving God, right? Right. So they're coming. Yeah. and That's why of when course, he got shot. Yeah. He when his, the fourth his, demon, ah, fourth ah, demon yeah, jumps yeah. out, I mean, he bet. shoots, boom, 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 right? And and they go, you know, can't be chance. It's so a when miracle. Jules, yeah, when Jules yeah. gets back into the car, his whole life changes, and uh, and he goes from a guy who kills people you know, without remorse and probably regularly to a guy who certainly would have killed the people at the end, you know, honey bunny, but instead gives him his $1,500 in his wallet and says, you know good luck, you know, change your ways. Yeah. And so, um, that is the, essentially the, the theory that, um, and that,
1: did you look, this is Tarantino ever given any
2: credence to this or is he kept mum? So it, he said, basically somebody people have asked him about like what is in there. And he says, whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. He says that okay. it was nothing special mm-hmm. and that Vincent Vega cut his head, shaving his head. And he thought it was interesting that he had a bandaid and told him to leave it because it made it interesting. So, so I guess, you know, the, the choices are, do you believe that it's all coincidence on this? And that he, he had right. no plan. Right. And he just said, let's put a briefcase with the 666 and make it glow and not say anything. Or like all the scene with the Z, did he plan this all out? And is there something like this?
1: Maybe uh, it's maybe some Tarantino's will. When yeah. he dies, he's going to finally reveal it. I, I love this idea. So it's interesting. It's super this idea.
0: And especially <laughs> yeah. because like, um, you know, Vincent... And Jules could be Nephilim or something, right? Like they could be earthbound angels or something. If you're buying into the theory. so They're dressed like, all you know, in the black and white yeah. suits. That's what I'm and, saying. Uh, they're dressed in the, they also wear the worst wigs on the planet on purpose. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then that was a choice that uh, Samuel L. Jackson made. He was supposed to have much, a much bigger fro. Right, yeah. And he was like, no, I think this will, this is more the character and more weird. Uh-huh. And Vincent Vega's hair is clearly the worst wig on the planet. So if they're, you know, Archangels or Nephilim or something trying to fit in.
1: Quentin Tarantino <laughs> did do Michael before that too. So mm, did he? No, yeah, not they, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, uh, not. John, I was John,
2: John, say, John Travolta. I'm pretty sure Michael was John, not a Tarantino. John Travolta did, yeah. So he's so, recur, yeah. so reviewing so the role. It's like, um, does, do I think that that's really it? It seems, seems kind of far-fetched, but then on the other hand, it seems even more far fetched that Quentin Tarantino has no idea what's in the briefcase, and then it was like, whatever, it doesn't matter. But he's
1: such he's such an archer with negative space. Like we're gonna we're gonna not they have a name this for this. Stuff.
2: Scott, what's the name? Because I can't remember now. The name for, uh, for a, a, a pl- MacGuffin? MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah, a MacGuffin. MacGuffin. Um, What but, is a MacGuffin? Because she doesn't going uh, A
1: MacGuffin me. is it's it can be the gimme, right? That's no, the, a
0: MacGuffin is is literally here. Watch this. Well, I do all of this. Okay. And this means
1: nothing. It means nothing.
0: Yes. Red herring is what you're talking about. Red herring.
1: But a MacGuffin is the kind of thing where I think some storytellers get to a point where they just want to fuck with people. Yeah. And they all remember the English classes where we had to sit there and listen. Like none of, no, the blue curtains do not represent the politariat. They are just blue curtains. And you get taught all this stuff. This is my personal personal take yeah, The the blue curtains are just goddamn blue curtains. They don't mean anything. Can we get back to the story? But in English analysis, everything is symbolism. Right. So they make up some bullshit thing that clearly has no symbolism. Like, here you go. Have at it. But that can't be true in the context of Pulp Fiction. It can't be. How come?
0: Because Vincent and Jules know what's in that briefcase. And if it were,
2: and he goes, whoa! Right, right. He's like, right, right. Got, he's like Impressed. and so they
0: know it's something impressive. But then I don't know how it, what we, your soul that, looks but Tarantino
2: like. Right? Could, that's just he could say. But what
0: I'm saying is, I think Tarantino purposefully, purposefully made it completely. Unknowable to the audience. It's like so the end that of Sopranos. Have to do that. Sopranos,
2: yeah. they, it goes to black and of leave course, it to the imagination. Of course, he gets killed. That it makes sense. That there no. It, it doesn't make any sense any other way. But people are like, you know, yeah. And when you ask, when you ask him, when he was been asked, uh, the the author um, was it? Uh, uh, it? It's Chase Ad- Chase. Ad- yeah. yeah.
0: Not David, Adam. David Chase, no? Uh, D- uh, Cal- anyway. I yeah.
2: yeah he, when he asks, he, he won't tell anybody. He doesn't say, he'll say whatever he wanted to be. Yeah. But he has to know that, that Tony gets killed. He has Probably. to.
0: And right. I, me personally, I love, love, love The Sopranos. And I love that you brought it up because I always see these as sort of spiritually, like it's the same vibe. Like mm-hmm. this is violent, but it's part of our life. And if you've never really seen it before, so it doesn't make a ton of sense to you, good for you, lucky for you. You don't have to interact with this, this organized crime level of whatever. No. Yeah. Keep going with your happy little life. Good luck with Instagram. You know, like that kind <laughs> of thing. And so I think at the at the end of The Sopranos, me personally, I think we we are following um, Tony's life. Yeah. And so when it goes to black, that's it. his life ends. Yeah, that's that's what I think happens. Story's <laughs> over. But you're know. right. There's a huge like no 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 could be this could be there's still music it went to black but People there's still like,
4: music like Tony's still
2: alive now he's just you know <laughs> he's doing he's great yeah. he's still oh, sure
1: all right Daniel. do you have any last thoughts on Pulp Fiction uh no I don't this is <laughs> here for him. loved it yep. <laughs> supporting the spouse everything's yep, exactly. good exactly aka are you ready for things you may not know oh about Lord. Pulp Fiction yeah, uh, yes a couple a couple a couple two, three. a couple sure run along uh, I'll make this fast Aaron has probably researched these already film <laughs> contains 265 F words even that hefty number isn't Tarantino's highest. 1992's Reservoir Dogs set it 269 times. Still, the film was the big F-word winner of 1994, as no other film released that year even came close to that amount of profanity, which is why there's so much of the F-word in Infected, because uh, it was, I was heavily influenced by this stuff, and I'm like, oh. Oh, you can't have that much swearing in the book. I'm like, go fuck yourself. There's a lot of swearing <laughs> in the book. The movie only cost $8.5 to make, which as Aaron pointed out, $5 million of that went to salaries, uh, pulled in $9.3 million the first weekend of release and went on to gross well over $100 million. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. big winner. Vincent Vega was originally written, the part of Vincent Vega was written for? Um, Michael Madison. Michael Madison, that is correct. He wrote it, uh, Tarantino specifically wrote a number of roles for people he had chosen to be actors, Samuel L. Jackson, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, etc. But Michael Madsen couldn't do it because he had to pull out two weeks before the film for wider It would yeah. be in wider.
0: Could you imagine being Michael Madsen today? Not that Wyatt, Wyatt Earp wasn't fantastic. Right. Right. But I, I liked Wyatt Earp. And it was but a it,
2: smaller role. He didn't play, a, he yeah. played a brother,
0: right?
1: Yeah. yeah. His yeah. Brother. He was already signed up yeah. though. There's nothing you can do yeah. in those situations. But,
0: yeah, for sure. But literally no chance, no way, any day, any time, Ooh. would you Ooh. think Wyatt Earp? Just as good as
1: Pope fiction. No, no, or no, or now, you could know? It have been, could it have been his people, his agent, his manager, being like, "Listen, this Tarantino, yeah, okay, this be. is going to go off the fucking rails. Yeah. It's a, tra- it's a train wreck. There was a one don't time,
2: one time. Yeah, yeah. He smashed the first one. it Will never happen again.
0: Oh yeah. I know mean, him go. go.
2: But I will say this: if if he was Vincent Vega, I don't know that the movie would have been as successful. I don't know oh, if I it think would, he could have done a good he, job. Th- I don't know. He's, He's so, so good like, as Mr. Black. He was great at Mr. Mr. Black. I don't know. I loved, I loved him. Quen- it's, tough to, it's, it's tough to imagine. It's
1: hard to imagine what would happen. But Vincent Vega's preferred reading material. That is a real book. The book he reads in a couple scenes. It's Peter O'Donnell's Modesty Blaze, a Pulp Fiction novel based on O'Donnell's 60s comic strip. I'm old enough to have seen Modesty Blaze uh, comic strips repeated here and there. Tarantino has long expressed, intre- expressed interest in bringing that tale to the big screen, including giving his official license to 2003 film. Gwen Tarantino presents My Name is Modesty. So I don't know if that actually happened or not. My Name is Modesty? I don't think so. John Travolta's death when Butch shoots Vincent Vega. This is great because it ties a lot of things together. Like, oh, he randomly hit Marcellus Wallace in the street? No, the gun Butch uses to shoot Vincent Vega isn't Vincent Vega's gun. It's Marcellus Wallace's gun. Marcellus Wallace left it on the counter to go get coffee. And that's how things got all messed up. Mm. I love it. That's why he I comes back it. with coffee and donuts, which were. Finally, chronologically speaking, the last scene in the movie sees Butch and Fabian drive away in a motorcycle. The very first sound heard at the start of the movie is the same motorcycle's engine.
0: Interesting. So I those like are it. some
1: things you might not know about StorySmack.
0: And that is it for episode 48 of Story Smack. You can find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Instagram and Twitter. And his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I'm at a real girl on Twitter and at a.real.girl on Instagram. You can always find us online at facebook.com slash storiesmack, and we'd love to see your comments there. Singermans, where can we find you guys online?
2: Um, we're easy to find. Mine is uh at sign Aaron Singerman, and it's uh, just Singerman is Singerman and Aaron is A-A-R-O-N. Okay. And Darielle is and that's for Instagram, Twitter, everything else. Mm-hmm. And Dariel
4: at Dariel Rose. Um D-A-R-I-E-L-L-E Rose on Instagram
0: and Maybe yeah. on Facebook, yeah. yeah. And, and as I th- mentioned at the top of the show, you can find your blog at redcon1.com. Right.
2: Red, redcon yep. Mm-hmm. yep, redcon1.com is the name of the business, and you can find lots of articles and videos. And you
1: really else. need to follow uh, Aaron on Instagram. And uh, is it, you put up all your stuff on your account or also on the Redcon account? No, I account?
2: only do, we have a, um, a social media manager that does Redcon, but I do everything on my own. So I'm the person commenting and everything
1: like that. And the Redcon, the the content Redcon uses to promote the company and the products is, Awesome. Mm-hmm. We, we time. study it a lot. We watch a lot of this we're like, Oh, we got to do stuff like this because it's <laughs> scripted. It's well thought out. It's commercials. self-deprecating. Yeah, you know, some, yeah. It's they're, they're commercials that you actually would want to watch cause they're just entertaining and it really, it really positions the, the personality of the company very well. So you guys should definitely follow that. I Thank actually you. find
0: that's true of the both of you also, because um, I'm sure, you know, there I, I must see this. There are some people who are, probably intimidated because they're not as fit as you guys are. They're not as that. That's not their aspirational goal. So they're not really sure whether or not. And it's so accessible. That's what I love so much. Cause that's one of the things that I love so much about when people meet Scott too, they're like, I didn't, I didn't expect you to be so like, just so cool. (laughs)
3: <laughs> like, but what did, well, what did what you expect?
0: Like right. what, you know, and that's one of those things. Cause I think people might look at you and it's, a, it's definitely a self-reflection, I think, but look at you and be like, mm, you're not really gonna like me because I don't work out or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not even part of yours, just being yourself and being accessible. And like you said, sort of scripted and whatever, but it, it's, um, I don't know quite how to say it, but it's sort of disarming when you didn't need, you didn't know you were being you being for, cautious, our com- yeah. for,
2: for our commercials, when we do a lot of the video content that we do, we choose to, um, to use, uh, humor, mm-hmm. yeah, to exactly. use humor. Yeah. So, the, you know, you want to, uh, we, you know, me and Scott to talked to some about digital marketing and some of my beliefs, you know, that's my passion is digital marketing. And, and one of the big things is if you can really disarm somebody with humor and re- regardless of thinking, you know, you don't fit in or whatever, or you're different than me, if I, if we can make you laugh, you're like, oh, well maybe, you know, maybe I was wrong.
0: And all you know? of a sudden, even if you don't reconsider, you, you forget that you had this preconceived idea like, well, I'm going to have to say, well, you know, I got hurt or whatever it is. You can just... Oh, right. Of course. I also love that yes. movie and I also love laughter. You know, that so, kind of yeah. thing. It's lovely.
1: Follow that. That's, that's at Redcon1. At Redcon1. At yeah. Redcon1. It's a masterclass in marketing. It's great stuff. I love it.
0: Uh, in addition to Stories, Max Scott releases an unabridged episode of a serialized novel every week. You can get stories for free, episodes for free every Sunday via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Just go to com slash subscribe for links.
1: We just finished up the horror sci-fi epic Earthcore, which you can still get for free if you subscribe. And in a week or so, we begin the first ever release of The Reef, a galactic football league novella. The Reef is a dark, dirty space western featuring an ex-MMA champion who used to have artificial cybernetic mods for his work in the octagon, but after one of his fights was fixed, he was stripped of mods and banished to the outer regions of known space where he had to survive by doing any job he can. I do hope you check it out, and if you do, I hope you dig it.
0: We hope you subscribe so you can hear Scott's books and more story smack goodness in the future. Thank you guys so much for joining us. It's been really, really fun.
2: Our pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting us. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And until next episode, we will talk to you all real soon. soon.
6: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine.